Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. It really is better than life, and our lips have the privilege of praising you. Thank you, God, that no matter what has happened throughout this day, you have been faithful to us. You have been good to us. You have kept us, like the old saints used to say, from danger seen and unseen. And for that, we are grateful. And now we present ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. We lean on you tonight. We don't come to the Bible study just to say that we made it to midweek, but we come because we desperately need to hear from God. And nobody knows his heart like you do, Holy Spirit. So we thank you for teaching us, for ministering your grace to us, for speaking to us, empowering us, and causing us to have everything that we need for life and godliness. We bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, we've been saying this over and over that the book of James focuses on practical wisdom. It, it focuses on the practical outworking of our faith. And when we were in chapter one and our first week together, we kind of dealt with the testing of faith. That's where he was focusing our attention. In our second week, then we started dealing with uh, the impartiality of faith. Uh, and several of you took that partiality test. I was kind of checking you out online and watching, and uh, I took it too. And I hope that uh, you were honest, because I'll tell you the truth. Uh, there were some things that surfaced that I had to go to God with and ask him to help my heart with. And so uh, then tonight, what we want to deal with is the partner of faith, the partner of faith. We're going to be in chapter two still, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 26. Uh, before I read it, I want us, to, I, I was thinking about something. I, I heard something recently, and the phrase was that this couple was a power couple. And I thought to myself, I wonder exactly what they mean by that. What is a power couple? And I found out that a power couple is a couple that consists of two people who are highly valued, intensely influential, and immensely significant, each in their individual right. Listen to that again. It's a couple consisting of two people who are highly valued, intensely influential, and immensely significant, each in their own right. And so as I was preparing for tonight, I started thinking, even though we're not gonna be looking at two people, we're going to be looking at two very important 
elements of our faith. And so I started calling them faith and works, God's power couple. They are the power couple in us, in our, in the lives of believers. Now, as a little background, excuse me, I want us to understand that there are some who uh, would say that the teaching of James would contradict or conflict the teachings that we find from Paul. Um, But in fact, they really are not in conflict at all. They're just, they were addressing two different things. And I pulled a couple of, of them out. For instance, when Paul was writing, he was refuting legalism, Jewish legalism, that said that one had to be um, had to observe the law in order to be saved. On the other hand, James was writing to oppose this mind that uh, this this twisted idea that faith in Christ meant that there had there was no expression of works. And nothing was necessary as we walked out that faith. Um, Paul, when he uses the word justified, he's discussing being saved from sin and being declared in right standing with God. Whereas when James is using the same word justified, he's focusing on vindication or here's a good word for it, authentication. And then when Paul is uh, talking regarding works, he's referring to the works of the law. Whereas when James is talking about works, he's talking about the works that faith produces. So Paul's position is one that declares that righteousness by God through faith in Christ, and it's apart from the works of the law. And we agree with that, right? You should put a thumbs up in the chat. We agree with that, that we're made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, and it is apart from the law. We don't have to work for that. We don't have to submit to the law in order to be saved. James' position is one's faith in Christ produces works that will authenticate the genuineness of that faith. And so that was really important for me to lay as a groundwork for us because as we read, we're going to read some things that you might say, hmm, I've read other passages and that sounds like it's contradictory, but it really is not, all right? So what I want us to do is let's read James chapter two, verses 14, through 20, let's see, let's read through 26. We're going to read all the way through. And this is what I want you to do. Every appearance of the words faith and works, I want you to circle them. If you are where your Bible is, if you're on an electronic device, just pay attention to where you see them and count them out. If you are watching and perhaps you are, you don't have any Bible with you or, or a uh, device with you, then just listen to the text. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to how many times the word faith appears And how many times the word works appears. And then I want you to put in the chat 
on whatever platform you're watching on. I want you to put in the chat how many you find and I want to see how how we do. All right. You ready? All right. Starting in verse 14, James chapter two, I'm reading from a New King James version. Whatever version you're reading or uh, looking at, you probably will find the same words. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well, but even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So I'm curious, how many times did you find faith? Or how many times did you find works? And I'll give you a hint. If you found the word faith 11 times and you found the word works 12 times, you're exactly right. So what do you think he's talking about here in these verses? Faith and works, our power couple. So let's just take a little while here and look at this power couple. First of all, he explains faith and works. There is the explanation of faith and works verses 14 through 17. And I know we read them, but I will probably now read those sections just to refresh us or because other people are coming into the study and perhaps didn't hear what we read. It said, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He starts out by saying, what does it profit? What does it gain? What is the benefit if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Faith there means persuasion. It means a belief and a moral conviction of religious truth 
or of the truthfulness of God. Works, on the other hand, means acts. It means deeds, just as we would think. And I like to say it like this. It is corresponding action or visible proof to demonstrate an inward conviction. I remember when um, when I got baptized, I, I accepted Christ when I was 14 years old and I got baptized. And I never forget the line that I heard one of the um, deacons say. He said, you are about to be baptized as an outward expression of an inward confession. And that stuck with me forever. And so that's what it means when we talk about works. There's something that we do on the outside that is visible, that demonstrates what we believe on the inside. So he says, so what does it profit if you say you have faith, but you don't have this corresponding action that proves that what you say you believe is true? And then he goes on and he asks that question, can faith save him? Now, that is the same Greek word as the word that we find everywhere else for save, meaning when it's talking about salvation. But it's not just that. And really, a way that that could be interpreted would be he's asking, can that kind of faith save? Can it deliver? Can it preserve and can it make whole? That's the statement that's often erroneously uh, viewed as suggesting that salvation comes through works. But that's not what he's saying. And I'll give us a couple of passages. I should have warned you tonight is a real dig in study. So you'll have a lot of other passages, other scriptures that I'll give you for your study beyond tonight. But that particular verse that we're in 14 in the Living Bible, it says it like this. Dear brothers, what's the use of saying you have faith and are Christians if you aren't proving it by helping others? Will that kind of faith save anyone? The message says it like this. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it. And then uh, for those of you who know me, you know, I like to take the definitions and create my own a version, if you will, uh, of a verse. And so my version 214, the DVJ version, <laughs> it says, my fellow believers, what benefit is there to us being persuaded of the truthfulness of God and having religious convictions if we don't have corresponding deeds and visible fruit to demonstrate on the outside what we say we believe on the inside. And, you know, sometimes because um, there are those, as I mentioned earlier, who say that these two writers are in conflict, there's a perfect way. You know, I always say what you want to do is let scripture back up scripture. And so I want to go to one of Paul's writings so that we can see 
that there is not a conflict. In your notes, write down Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And you probably know this very well. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, meaning God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So clearly, Paul wasn't saying that there should not be, that the only thing was um, being saved, even in Ephesians, it shows us we were created for good works. So when we come into a knowledge of who Christ is, there should be an expression in our actions, those good works that he already prepared for us to do. Um, And even Jesus, uh, if I might remind you in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, you remember when Jesus is talking about uh, when the king comes, when the king comes back, he's going to judge and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And then he starts talking and he says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you provided housing for me. I'm paraphrasing, of course. When I was naked, you provided clothing for me. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. But then out of the NIV, he says this, because, you know, of course, the response was, well, Lord, when did we when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we see any of those things? And he says this, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So even Jesus substantiates this whole idea that a faith that we proclaim ought to be visible by our actions and by our deeds. And that te- the, those verses go on and he says, faith without works doesn't profit, meaning they don't produce evidence that is of benefit to others or to the Lord. And he says also, faith without works is dead. And I've been saying it over and over. It's a profession without a practice. It's like the body without breath. So works don't save us, but those who are saved should produce some evidence. I thought about this illustration, and I never really thought about it together with, this, with these passages before. But you remember um, in Matthew 21 when Jesus, uh, it's after the triumphal entry and everyone has been saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he goes in the Matthew passages, he goes and he clears out the temple. He turns, well, you know, he clears out the temple. Then the text goes on and it says that he was hungry. They're going to another city and Jesus is hungry. And 
as they're going, he sees a fig tree and he goes to get fruit, but there is no fruit on the fig tree and he curses the fig tree. Now, what comes after that is what most of us pay attention to, because after that, he starts, it starts talking about, he starts talking about how uh, when they marveled at this, when his disciples marveled, marveled at this, he said, you know, if you have faith, you can do this and even greater things. You can speak to the mountain and it'll move. And most of us settle right there. But that really wasn't the point of what he did. The point really was designed to speak to the Hebrew nation at the time because there was a lot of talk of being religious but they didn't believe what God had done in sending his son. And the reason that he pointed it out was because everybody knew that a fig tree, when it produces leaves, that is an indication that there is fruit. So the fruit comes up on the tree and then the leaf grows over the fruit. So if you see the leaf on the fig tree, the fig tree is advertising that it has fruit. When he lifted the advertisement, he found nothing there. And basically he was saying, you are professing something that you are not producing. And that's what this whole idea here in uh, James, that's what he is talking about. Faith itself, do, it doesn't have works, it's dead. If we lift up the leaf of your life, will we find the fruit of Christ? If you run into me in the supermarket, will you find the same Deanne Johnson you find in church? There ought to be corresponding action to my profession of faith. Um, you might have noticed I got a little excited right there. And that is because nowadays, I don't know about you, but it, it bothers me that so many people profess um, to know the Lord. It's, it's almost novel to, be, to say I'm a Christian. Um, we hear people, we see people on television professing to be spiritual or to know God. And in the very next breath, they will say or do something, or they will behave in a way towards somebody that's inconsistent with who God is. There's a passage that brethren, these things ought not be so. So we've got to understand that he's saying to us very clearly, there has got to be an explanation of this faith and works. I want you to understand what this whole idea of faith and works is. Then he goes into um, expressions of these of faith and works in 18 to 22. And I feel like I'm flying, but I really am not. <laughs> but 18 to 22, then <clears throat> he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. 
And I, in my Bible, I've crossed out the word your works because that word your isn't in the original text. So he, basically it would read, show me your faith without works. And I will show you my faith by works. You believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? He says, first of all, faith is demonstrated through works. He says, show me your faith without works, meaning show me your faith separated or apart from works. And I will show you my faith by my works because and by reason of my works. A couple of passages for you to write down. Matthew chapter five, verse 16, we quote it a lot. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 20 to 21 is another one. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared, here it is again, for every good work. <clears throat> I think this is, a, this is um, I think this is really essential too. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I was talking to someone, I can't even remember now, but I was talking to someone just this week, it seems like. Oh, I know. I was talking to a friend of mine that I'm working with, and we were just kind of talking about uh, spiritual formation and uh, these exercises that she's having to go through for her studies. And she was saying, you know, I just don't like uh, the spotlight. I don't like uh, talking about myself. I don't. I don't like uh, being seen like that. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And I could really identify with her. I re I really not only heard her, but I could feel her because I feel the same way. And so we started talking, and I I said, yeah, I said I am by my own admission, an extroverted introvert. I would, I would much rather uh, be someplace writing than talking. Um, and after the call, and, but I encouraged her that, you know, this assignment is not highlighting you. I mean, it is, but it is dealing with how you, uh, you have to answer how you feel about these things. But after I got off the call with her, I was mildly convicted, or, or I might say I just had a different view, because it was almost like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, how will people ever see the greatness of God if they don't see the work that he's doing through you? That was difficult, because sometimes we, we think that when we are doing good, that the, the glory is coming to us. But the reality is God is telling us, I, there's a light I put on the inside of you. I need you to let it shine. I don't, don't dumb yourself down. If anything, turn the watt 
up. Let me turn up the light on the inside of you because that light is what's going to draw people to you. Have you ever noticed how, have you ever been in a, in a in situation with people that you know are not believers and you are going through something difficult and they know you are going through something difficult because they are going through, you are all going through it together at the same time. Yet, because of the way you handle people and the way you handle the situation, then they start coming to you saying things like, how are you dealing with this? Bingo, an open door to be able to now talk about the one who lives through you. So he said, you got to let your light shine before men. Now, part of the reason that we don't necessarily want to let our light shine is because then we're held to a standard, but we should be. Then the expectation, you know, you ever had people say, yeah, I thought you were a Christian. That's the price we pay for the cross. That's bearing our cross. Yeah, we should be letting that light shine so that others can see. And it, notice it said, let it shine before men. That's not the same as being braggadocious. It's not the same as being prideful. What he is saying is whatever I put on the inside of you, let it, let it come out through your good works, whatever those good works may be. Let it come out. And that way you glorify the father in heaven and you open up this opportunity for someone who doesn't know him to be introduced to him. So he, start, he says, faith is demonstrated through works. But in, that verse, in those verses, he also tells us that faith is completed by works. <clears throat> Excuse me. Faith is completed by works. Because you notice he says, um, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Oh, I'm sorry. I went to the wrong verse. Um, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by works. You believe that there's one God, and, you know, the, dame, the demons do also. He says, faith is completed by those works. Hmm, I've lost my place, excuse me. Oh, I know. But do you not know that faith without works is dead? I really wanted to go a little bit further because he says, um, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together in his works, um, in his works and by works, faith was made perfect? That's where I was trying to get to. Faith is completed by works. He says faith and works work together. See where it says works together. Um, they come that comes from a word where we get our English word synergy. Faith and works are in synergy with one another. They cooperate with one another. They collaborate with one another. And they co-labor with one another. And through this collaboration, faith is made perfect. Now, it doesn't mean that, that's, that then we live without flaw. It means that 
faith then is completed, it's accomplished, it's matured, and it's brought to a successful conclusion. So if I can go back just a second on that one, and part of the issue, if you'll forgive me, is I am having technological problems here with my iPad. So he says, in the expression of faith, faith is demonstrated through works, because he says, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith with my works. And faith is completed by works, that faith and faith and works work together. And then finally, he gets to these examples of faith and works in verses 23 through 26. Now he gives us two examples. He says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, here he starts using this word justified. He actually uses it in three places, verse 21 and then verses 24 and 25. And he had justified simply means to render or to show to be righteous or just. To render or to show to be righteous or just. And at its root, it means to be equitable in character or act. And then he uses Abraham as an example who was the friend of God. Uh, Abraham was upright. And I, I was trying to see if I would have enough time, and I think I do. I want to go over to uh, Genesis chapter 22, and certainly we're not going to read all of it, but for your notes, if you read the first 14 verses over there, you'll get the gist of of, um, the story. But for, for many of us, we know this story that Abraham has waited for a a very long time. Uh, He's a hundred years old when he finally gets the promise. God promises him a son and he makes this promise at 75, at age 75. And 99, he finally gets the answer, right? Now he's got what God has promised. His one and only son, even though he has had another son, we don't want to get sidetracked by that, but this is the promise. This is the thing that God said he was going to do. Now imagine waiting 25 years for God to fulfill a promise that he's given you. And then once you get the promise, God said, now I want you to sacrifice it. Now I want you to give it up. I don't know about you, but I think I would have a very hard time with that. So the scripture doesn't tell us anything. The thing about scripture is we don't always know the time between. But I always believe that if there's anything that we have to know 
from the word, God would have allowed it to be put in there. So the scripture doesn't tell us about any kind of um, conversation with God, any kind of plea with God. It simply says, after he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, that you love and go to uh, Moriah. And I want you there to offer him as a burnt offering. And the next verse, verse three says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and the wood and the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He took everything necessary to kill his promise. And it says in verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And I love this verse in five. He, then he says to the young men, to the men that were working with him, he said, you stay here. The lad and I, we're going yonder to worship. And he says, and we'll come back to you. That's faith talk. God has already said, take your only son, take him to Mount Moriah, take everything that you need and sacrifice him. But there was something in Abraham that made him to know that God, you already promised this to me. I have faith and I believe, I don't know how, but I have faith in, to believe that what you have promised, you have delivered, and somehow you are going to make it so that I don't lose what you have promised. <clears throat> and of course, you know the account, he goes and he um, takes his son. And many times in our minds, we think about this and we think uh, that this is a little kid. But remember now, at this point, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Isaac is 12. I think he's about 12 years old here. And, and if I don't have his exact age right, I can promise you this. He's old enough to ask the question, uh, hey, Pop, <laughs> I see that we have the wood and I see we got the fire, but where is the sacrifice? We never talk about the fact that of Isaac's um, faith, because he has... Abraham has faith. Oh, God. Abraham has faith in Father God. Isaac has faith in his father, Abraham, because he allows him to bind him up. And just when he does, and just when he is ready to sacrifice him, God provides the sacrifice. Uh, I heard an old preacher one time said, you know, um, they were coming up one side of the mountain and while they were coming up one side of the mountain, the sacrifice was coming up on the other side. And so Abraham is this friend of God and he is known as the father of faith. And that the scripture says he was justified in his faith. He did what God said to do. And because of that outward expression, because of the works that he did, because of working through what he was told to do in spite of the consequences, that was a demonstration 
of what he said he believed. He demonstrated, God, I believe you. I Now, the text doesn't say this. This is just me. Uh, the old preachers used to say, I'm just using my sanctified imagination. I believe that his faith was such that he was saying, God, I have so much faith in you that even if I do sacrifice my son, even if I do kill him on this mountain, you're going to raise him up because you promised that I was going to have him. You promised that he would be my seed. Hebrews eleven nineteen. I don't have it in front of me right now. <laughs> but the peanut gallery is over here screaming out scriptures. So he, he knew, he knew that God somehow, he wasn't concerned with how God was going to do it. He was only trusting and working in faith. And because of that faith, his works lined up. Had Abraham started trying to negotiate with God, maybe circumventing what God said, then there would be no opportunity for us now to be calling him the father of faith because we wouldn't see where he demonstrated the outworking of that faith. So um, I start to say Peter, James uses him who is now who is called uh, the friend of God, the upright one, uh, as an illustration, if you will, or as an example of this whole idea of showing that faith has to be worked out. And when that faith is worked out, that the, the, it wasn't, it could not have been talking about faith in the sense of salvation, because think about it, we're taught, this is pre-Christ. So there's no confusion here. He's not saying at all that, um, that it was apart from a saving faith. What, is saying, what he's saying is that what Abraham demonstrates to us is that it was accounted to him for right standing because he worked out, he walked out what God told him to do. And he was called the friend of God. He says, you see then that a man is justified or um, it is proven. His faith is proven by those works. But then he doesn't stop there. And I'm glad he didn't. Because sometimes we hold uh, biblical persons in such high esteem that we don't see how that could apply to us. So he didn't just stop there. He says, likewise. Now, I don't want you to run past that. Likewise, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So here he gives an illustration uh, or an example of Abraham, the friend of God, the upright one. And then he contrasts that with Rahab, 
the harlot or the prostitute, the outcast one. And you'll find her story in Joshua chapter two, verses one through 21. And over there, again, I won't read all of it, but Rahab, you know that um, the spies were sent out and uh, two spies were sent out and they encountered Rahab's house on the wall and they were hidden because the men of that city were looking for them. So Rahab hid them up on the roof and uh, once they, once things were clear and she, when they came and asked her where the men were, she said, well, I think they went that way. Well, when they were uncovered and, and they knew that danger was out, then Rahab began to talk to them and she said, now listen, I know you're about your God. And I know that he is coming through this town, this place. I know that he is going to take everything that is here. I know that he is greater than any of the gods that we serve, any of the gods that we talk about. He is the one true and living God. And so what I'm asking you to do is because I protected you, when your God comes through here, I need you to protect me. And the spies say, we'll do it. Anybody that's in your house, if they are, they have to be within the confines of your house. And all you have to do is put this red cord out. And when we will make sure that everybody who is within that space will be saved. They will be delivered from the destruction that is coming. It's almost like the blood on the doorpost when Israel was leaving Egypt. So she recognized who they, who they served. She knew the power of God. And she said, I will do whatever is necessary to make sure that you are safe. As long as you do whatever is necessary to make sure that I and my people are safe. She, because of that, she and her household, were what? Saved. Now, I, I don't know where I found this note, um, but it said Abraham was an upright patriarch, while Rahab was a prostitute on the opposite end of the social and moral spectrum. However, they were both equally justified on the same basis. And that is their willingness to act upon what they believed about God. So in actuality, faith and works are not in competition. As I close this out, um, I want to make you think of it like this. Faith and works are like legs. It's step answering to step. The easiest way to get to a desti any destination, you, you, never, you don't walk with both your feet at the same time. You take one, one foot, one leg moves forward, the other moves forward. They go step by step, step answering to step. They're not in competition. They work together 
to accomplish you getting to a destination. Faith in works could also be seen like um, like oars, like oars in a in a rowboat. Each one of them by itself results in turning in circles. I can't help it. When I said that, I immediately got a visual. Uh, years ago, um, I don't know, I guess we just decided, my family decided that we were going to go go out, and we ended up at this uh, park that had a lake. And we got a rowboat. And <laughs> my husband and my son and I got in the rowboat, and we were doing okay for a while, but my husband needed to get back to the shore, and I don't know what happened. I simply remember that we no longer had kind of an equal uh, working of the oars, so he was trying to get back to the shore kind of quickly. I won't go into any details, but he was needing to get back to the shore quickly, but because we were not operating the oars equally for a while we were slowing the process down so instead of heading toward the shore we started turning around going back in the opposite direction now my son and I thought it was pretty funny at the time <laughs> but the whole point is this that visual sticks in my mind because if if you only use one oar then all you do is go around and around in circles but when you work both of them together in sync, then that results in forward momentum, in forward movement. So what James is teaching us is not a matter of one or the other. It's not a matter of either or. He is simply saying this. For those of us who say we have faith, that faith has to be demonstrated or it should be shown in the outworking of our lives, in the way that we show up in the world. If we say that we have faith, we ought to see it. The old people say, used to say, if you have faith, there ought to be some signs. I want to leave you with this uh, very short quote that I found by G. Campbell Morgan. He said, faith will produce action true to the word which it professes to believe. That's where I want to leave you tonight. Ask yourself, is my faith producing action that's true to the word that I profess to believe? And if it's not, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We just have to make a shift, check our oars, and make sure that we're not going in circles. Check our steps. Make sure that what we say we believe, we step out, and with the very next step, it's demonstrated by our actions. I pray tonight was a blessing for you. I want to encourage you to continue to study, go back and read this chapter. Now, I, I want to tell you this. 
We uh, intended for this to be the last study in James. However, we've had a change in our schedule. So we are going to be back one more week next Wednesday night. So I want you to like and share. If you have friends that you haven't asked to get on the line with you, do that. Um, you can like and share the recording from tonight and also maybe even create some watch parties or something like that so that more and more people can receive the word of God. And then I want to invite you um, starting February the 6th, we go into small groups in the church that I'm a member of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Now, you don't have to be a member of New Covenant to be a part of small groups. It is a wonderful opportunity where all week long, somewhere around the city, we are meeting together. Now, all of us are virtual because of COVID, but uh, these groups are dynamic. They are wonderful times of study. So if you're interested or you want to get a little more information, go to newcov.org and check on the small groups box that is on the main page. When you check on that, you'll get some information about small groups, and then you'll also get a listing of all of the available small groups as of now, and you can click and register for any one of them. We would love to have you. You don't have to be a part of New Covenant, as I said, and you don't even have to be a part uh, in the state of Georgia. I'm blessed to have um, a group of ladies that I study with, several of whom are not even in the state with us, and it has been marvelous together. So I bless you tonight. I pray that God will give you great rest. More than anything else, I pray that you'll let your light shine throughout the remainder of this week and that Christ will be seen in you. He'll be formed in you and he'll be visible in you as you go out and show up in the world. Amen. Good to see you tonight. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.